Problem Gambling podcast is proudly sponsored by Gamban, the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices. If willpower slips, Gamban doesn't. Go to gamban.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Problem Gambling podcast. I'm Barry Grant, an addiction counsellor with Extern Problem Gambling. And my co-host is Tony O'Reilly, also an addiction counsellor with the project and the co-author of the book, Tony 10. And today we're delighted to have on the show uh, one of the co-hosts of the brilliant Two Norries podcast, which I know a lot of you listen to, uh, Timmy Long. Timmy, thanks so much for coming on and joining us today. And many people who'd listen to the Tunari's podcast, and there are a lot of people who listen to the podcast, and not just the people that we work with or that we come into contact with within work, you know, just people that I'd be out chatting to out and about or listening to it. So it's having a big impact, a really positive impact on people's lives. Many people would know your own personal story of uh, addiction and recovery and I suppose some criminal activity and going through the prison system and, and, and trauma and mental health and all of the various things that you've spoken about. And if you don't know Timmy's story on those side of things, I'd highly recommend you go back to the Tunari's podcast and listen to episodes one and two, and you get a really good insight. But today I was hoping that we might have a little bit of a look at your experience around gambling and what role that played in your life and what impact it had on your life. Um, so do you want to yeah. just tell us a little bit about where where that started out in your life? When did you start? Thanks, Kansler? Barry. Jeez, that was a fantastic introduction. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here chatting with you, uh, yourself and Tony. You know, I met Tony a while back in the studio and we done a podcast with him and he shared his story, which really, really, you know, was, was I, I was with him the whole way. It was a really, really... Oh, like I hate saying great story, but I was like, because <laughs> I don't like using that terminology, but it was one of those stories where you say, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, and uh, and Tony knows, knows the crack there, um, but it was, it, we, we had a good old chat and, and as we were introducing ourselves early on in the studio, I noticed, I recognised his face and I was just, I asked him, I asked him, was he ever in prison? Obviously he was, like, but um, he taught me, yeah, he was in Shelton Abbey. And I asked him what year, and he said 2014. And I said, fuck it, I knew you, I know you, I, I, I recognise your face now. And, you know, we had a chat about that, about, about the, the actual, um, the Abbey itself and, and, and how we got on there. And, and thankfully, myself and Tony are two lucky ones who, who really got it. You know, we got that sense of awareness that brought us to where we are today and it just kept pushing us in the right direction to to improving ourselves and, and looking at those behaviours that brought us into that life, you know. So I'm very, very grateful to be here and to have this opportunity to share my story with, with both you, Barry and Tony. So thank you so much for having me here. Uh, thanks, Timmy. And I, I think... Because I was only to seven Tony who started meeting up in the mornings now to go for a walk because we just don't spend enough bloody time together, like Bert and Ernie here at the moment. But anyway, <laughs> so we're out in our morning walk, and I was going, I was listening to Timmy's story on the, the podcast the other day, and he was saying he was in the Midlands prison yeah. in 2012, and I think Tony was there at the same time as well. Do I have that right? Yeah, I was in there. Um, 
December 2012 is when I went in, probably on different landings, I'd say. Yeah. You don't tend to see too many other people as such, I suppose. In, well, I didn't in, um, in the Midlands because I kind of kept to myself. I didn't go to the yard much, worked in the kitchens, kept the head down until we went to Shelton. It was one of those moments, yeah, as you were saying, we were, we're sitting in the where you recorded the podcast, kind of looking. I said, geez, I hope I didn't do anything wrong in him some stage. Cause I, you know what I, mean? I thought you were from Carlo. Originally, because you know, what I mean? I'm not great with names, but I always remember a face. I was kind of didn't know him from somewhere, but it was really, um, it was interesting. Even when we were talking just before we came in, you said that the role that Shelton Abbey played in recovery as a place where you can really become more mindful in recovery. And, and I think when you said that, it kind of really resonated because for me, that was the same. It was kind of like I was able to, you know, the closed prison I found good as well in, in that I was away from that chaos and that madness, and I was able to really focus on me. Um, at a time when I probably needed the folks of me, but when you go into Shelton, like it's, it's once you get past a little bit of the politics and the bullshit that's there too, and there is a bit of that. It's a bit of that everywhere in life, but in prison as well. But you can really use it as a place to, um, to uh, get grow. as you said, get your life back and grow. Yeah. yeah, and and I often share when I'm doing my um the school talks, my you know my best moment and my worst moment in prison. I mean, the best moment in prison I always put down is my fortieth birthday. We done a ten k run around the prison, around the gardens, like we were talking about. For um, I done it for Crumlin Children's Hospital, and I raised you know a couple of people who's coming to visit me, you know, brilliantly brought out a few cards and got a good few hundred euro. So even though you would see it as this, as this um, potentially inverted commas horrible place, like people say there are, it is a little like a little mini community in there. Yeah. Now our paths didn't really cross in Shelton. I think I was on the way out, and you were on the way in, but still it was um, I look back at it as a positive experience. And it has made me into the person I am today or has helped my recovery to make me into the person I am today. So, yeah, it was just... 100%. But... 100%. I completely relate, yeah, because my story within the general population in the Midlands prison would, would, would have been quite the same. I would have been on a landing with my whole fa- my family were on the same landing as me. And my two brothers and the two of them were strung out in heroin. And, and I was in early recovery from alcohol and drugs and a lot of other stuff, you know, and I was... I was dealing with an awful lot of trauma and stuff, and it was a really, really difficult time for me because around that period as well, where it was nine months into my sentence, my mother passed away. She took her own life. Um, but I, I was fortunate enough that I had family. I, one of my brothers there at that point, and the other brother was down in Cork prison. We were all in prison at the same time uh, when she took her life. And, um, you know... No matter what went down in my life inside the prison, looking at my brothers walking up down the landing over their faces, you know, and my mother passing away, or me having to deal with some of the trauma from childhood, you know, on a daily basis, I never picked up a drink, I never took a, a drug, I never, I never done anything from from the old kind of space, and I just kept pushing myself and educating myself and and keeping myself together, you know, and I suppose. Everybody gets an opportunity to do that in some period in, in their life, but I was just fortunate enough that I got it in prison because I don't know would I've been so lucky if I wasn't in prison because I was involved in a lot of crime as well and, and drugs and stuff like that. And if I was to be sober and clean I and, and gamble free at the time, I don't I don't know would I've been able to give up that lifestyle as well that I had back then, you know. So I was very fortunate that I was inside in a prison setting at the time. And um I, I it was just my time. I was ready. I was ready, you know. So 
I was lucky. I had, I had some very, very good people in my life as well. My partner at the time, she's not my wife. She stood by me the whole way. So I was blessed to have somebody like that. And they gave me something to fight for, you know. Um, so if 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 you want, lads, I, I'll, uh, I'll just go back to the beginning of maybe my introduction to gambling a little bit. How it all started for me and what it done for me and where I finished with it in the end. So basically I started gambling at a really young age, you know, just kind of going into the, the betting office, doing dogs here and there and not knowing the effects of it, but also not not understanding what was going on for me at the time. You know, I I I so much going on internally, you know, you know, that feeling when you're inside in the bookies and like when you're, particularly when you're a young lad, you're, you're chasing and I was mad to, to keep going and um, I don't know if that's making any sense, but like I had it from a young age, you know, I gambled with life from a young age, with crime, you know, with drink, with drugs and then it came with with betting offices, you know, casinos, online, and it just developed. And like in my early early twenties, I used to I I I'd go off out to work for the week, and come a Friday, the first thing I do on a Friday would be I'd go straight in, make a beeline into the the, the bookies, you know, and and I'd start gambling and. I, I lost everything every time, you know, because I couldn't f from the moment I started gambling, I could I could never stop. And if I lost something, I was I kept going. I could never I could never leave it lying down here. I, I you know. And I remember I was about twenty one and I was working inside in Paul Street, inside in um in Cork City Centre. And I was just after been paid. And I was supposed to go away for a weekend with, with a girl that I was with at the time. And I went into the, the bookies and I gambled everything that I had. And I went up home and I told my mother that I was after losing my, my wages, you know. And um, she believed me because it, it wasn't evident at that period of my life that I had a gambling issue, you know. But as time went on, it just kind of kept developing and developing, and for me it was it, it was it was very easy as well because I was involved in fucking drugs as well and criminality, and because I had money for all from all these things as well, I was I I I'd be going into the bookies. And I'd be gambling amongst all my other addictions. Everything would be coming into one at the same time, you know. And I'd be left in while the cleaning... I'd be left into the bookies while the cleaning lady was in there cleaning. And I'd be betting on black and red and the roulette tables, you know, the balls. You know, and, and, and I know gambling is not about quantities or anything like that. And I'm not going to go into that. But... I'd be standing in there and they knew I'd be fucking high and, and drunk or whatever and I'd be gambling an hour before the bookies would leave me open, you know. And they, they got so used to me inside in the bookies that they, they, they didn't even give me a tick. 
kick inside in the book easily. And um, that went on for years and years and years and years. And I, I never realized that I had a problem with it, you know, because I always looked at the other addictions that I had in my life that were causing more problems for me than gambling. You know, although my fucking head was was destroyed because like I, I was never going to go home and tell my partner at the time that oh, I'm just after fucking losing such and such or such, you know. And for me, it wasn't money that I probably would have owned. It was money that I owed for drugs or something like that. But because I had had my hands in it, I was using it as well. You know, it was chasing then. It was just chasing. I was losing money here, right? Then I'd get money off somebody else and I'd try to get that money back. And, you know, before you know it, you're fucking... I used to be in, in, in tens and tens and tens of thousands of euros worth of debt, you know, and... Um, and, I, and, and, I, and when I look at it in one way... I was I was actually lucky that I was actually involved in crime because of the large quantities of money that I was spending, you know, there was no way in on on earth that somebody with a normal nine to five job would have been able to sustain us, you know, and, and pay it back. And um, it just went on like that for years and years, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I often, there was times I, I'd leave the bookies and I'd have absolutely nothing, you know, nothing. And we spoke about this the last, last day, you know, that feeling that you just have to lose. And then you're, you're up in your head then thinking of where you can get more money, you know. I'd often take money out of my kids. I would have took money out of my kids' accounts, you know, for, for gambling took money out of the house here, belonged to my wife, you know, money that she was saving to maybe do up the house. I would have took that, you know, I would have sold whatever I had, cars, you know, anything at all, just to get money for gambling, you know. I would have robbed for it. My last charge, my last criminal conviction was based on, on a robbery. I was after robbing another... I, yeah, robbed another place to actually get more money to go back into a bookies to go keep going gambling you know um, I just it just had such a grip on me and I had so much I, I had such a lack of na naivety I hadn't a clue that I was actually a compulsive gambler I, I really didn't even understand it to the degree because as I said earlier there I looked at my problems being the alcoholism and, and, and the drug addiction and the crime and everything else that came with it. But what the gambling did to me was as bad, if not worse, than some of the stuff because I was being tortured inside my head. You know, I was I was being tortured because gamblers don't talk about talk about what's going on from to anybody. I, I didn't, you know, because it, it it's not something you feel you can talk about because it, it's it's money, you know, and uh, I wanted to keep it all for myself. Everybody knew I was destroyed from everything else, but it was like the only thing that I had that nobody else had 
you know, everybody else knew that it was bad in the gambling, but I didn't have a clue. I thought nobody knew nothing, you know. But um, but it, it, in the end, like it just took full control over me, and um, I I I would have got myself into a lot of dangerous situations because of the amount of amount of money that I would I would have uh, gambled and. You know, as I was saying there earlier, I was saying my my last criminal conviction was based on on gambling as well, and and that was the last that night I got caught for that. That was the last gamble I ever had. That was eleven years ago, coming this Christmas, um, and I won't say I haven't thought about gambling since. I won't say I haven't. I would, you know, like there's been days there that. I the, the temptation to maybe do something on on a fucking Grand National day or, or something like that, and then something would just come in like that into my head and say to me, "Pull yourself back here, smile, but you know, you know this," because I, I I'm aware of all these how how that thinking can pop in, that stinking thinking can pop into your head, and fool you, and tell you you aren't bad with this. That's fine, you know. You were just fucking a drug addict or an alcoholic or whatever. Gambling wasn't too bad, but the reality of it is, for me, gambling was the biggest one that fucked up my head. It, it destroyed my head, you know. Um, and I went down for for years and years. And my last gamble was two thousand eleven, the twenty sixth of December two thousand eleven, you know. Right. And uh, it, 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 that was when it came to an end. Just to touch on the, the gambling side of it again, Timmy, like when you were in prison and you're in recovery for the drugs and alcohol, how did you manage the boredom bit with the gambling? Because gambling is available in prison fairly openly, like there's soccer pools and there's, yeah, you know, you can bet on anything using the currency of the half ounce. Like, how <laughs> did you find that? Because like, like even a part of me, um, when you got in there, you kind of like you're after getting convicted of it and you kind of say, well, no one will know one here. At that stage, I hadn't decided that... I started the journey of being a counselor, but I hadn't really decided like this is where I was going. So it was it wasn't the recovery wasn't part of the job, I suppose. Like, you know, now I'd be very mindful of when I do get that compulsion to gamble is something that I, I know I can't do because you you I would lose some credibility, I feel professionally, but I would also lose that peace of mind. And I I know I, as you said, there's not about the quantities, but I go back to where my head was mm. back eleven or twelve eleven and a half years ago, eleven years ago. But I think it was there in um in prison and it's just a kind of oh well, I could do this because like you know I'm here like I'm here for whatever length of time sure I'll stop when I get out or and it was the same with, with um cigarettes like I was off cigarettes for years and I was I think I've told a story in the podcast before I was I was locked in the cell or banged out in the cell on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve listening to Mel de May on RT and if I had a lighter I had a lot of half ounces for you know laundry and whatever else you have it for haircuts yeah yeah and uh, I, I if I had a lighter that I, I would have smoked out just pure boredom and because I was surrounded by it in the kitchens I was seeing lads rolling and smelling it and you know you know you could get this the sense of the cigarettes and I, I missed it because I, because I was more surrounded by it it started getting on my head mm. and I think with the gambling as well that kind of thing of oh, sure I deserve it now. I'm in prison. You know, you can fall in, especially mm. in the first couple of weeks from here. You know, it was my first experience of it. I was like, you know, a rabbit in headlights. So it was kind of like, you know, it could have been a way to escape in there. But luckily, yeah. like yourself, I said, well, if I do this. I completely, you know, 
do, do you know what, Tony? I completely understand what you're saying. And even playing pool, you know, playing ping pong, you know, you'd have fellas trying to fucking play, have a game of ping pong with you for a knock to the back. Or, and I would have in the prison. I would have done that because I was still, I still didn't understand that I was a compulsive gambler, you know, because when I went into treatment for, 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 for gambling, amongst other things, you know, it, it was explained to me around compulsive gambling and that I was a compulsive gambler and I looked at it and, but I went straight from prison into, or I went from straight from treatment into prison without even going to a GA meeting at the time, you know, and I still, <laughs> I still didn't understand it. I was so naive at the time. It wasn't until I came out of prison, okay, and because I knew I couldn't go back to the other addictions and 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 use any of those, I started contemplating about going gambling, and and I was fortunate enough that I had some good people in my life around that that period of time, and and I was going to I went to a few GA meetings, you know, and. I, I really got to understand myself a little bit more. And, and, and what that done then, it also made me look back and try to understand what it is to be a compulsive gambler, you know? And I did, and I, and I, and I understood what it was. And um, that was a big deal for me. You know what I mean? It was a big deal. It was like, some, be, some people here, look, your hand at a brush there, that it, the brush might be fucking... Drug addiction, gambling addiction, alcoholism, whatever it may be. It was like, here I got handed four or five brushes at the same time, you know. And it was like, it took me different periods of time to understand each one of them. Because my head would have exploded at the beginning if I didn't. And I know there's a lot of men probably listening to this as well, who are cross-addicted completely. Because when I gambled... Everything else came into play again. Like when when I was gambling, I was drinking, I was drugging, and most other sh mad stuff, you know, and vice versa with the other stuff, you know. Because when I wasn't getting a fix from one thing, I moved on to the next and the next and the next and the next. And um, gambling was always the one that stopped that, Tony. Mm. Gambling was always the one that put the wall up in front of me and stopped me. Right, and I'll tell you why. Because with the gambling, it took everything from me. I wasn't able to go drinking anymore. I wasn't able to go drugging anymore because I spent everything I had, you know, and I would have never blamed it as being uh, the cause of any of my, my problems back in, the, back in the day, you know, until later on, until things really, really went went bad for me in the end when I started losing my head, you know, um started contemplating taking my own life, you know, because of the the, the quantities of, of money that I owed people, you know. Um financially I was I was I was penniless, you know, and it was a really, really difficult difficult place for me to be in. It was a dark, dark time in my life, you know, and I spent a lot of time up in, in a box room in my mother's house at the time, you know, um no no one to turn to. Didn't understand what was going on for me. 
you know, because the people I was around, they were all gamblers as well. You know, they were all involved in all that kind of circle. And it was like I was nearly the first one to come out of it. You know, I, I was the first one to to come to their end of of the game, if that's the right word to say, of the game. And a lot of them are still there and whatever they're doing, they're gambling, whatever else. But I was the first, like, and that only happens, Tony, and you can relate to this, and I'm sure Barry can too. That only happens when you go to the extremes that you did, that other compulsive gamblers go to. And them extremes are like of remarks in the house behind your wife's back, you know. Robbing 1.6 million from the post office, you know. Getting into hundreds of thousands of euros of debt with drug dealers because you're after spending their money through drugs, you know. And that was my extreme. And that's when I really felt my life was threatened. And, and, and you know, not just physically, but mentally in every way in my family's life. And that really put put a circle around the gambling as in to say, this is causing a lot of problems in life, pal. You know, it's, it's not just it's not just all this stuff here. It's also this here, and um, and that's when I, I I really I really kind of stopped. It it wasn't something that happened automatically. It was like at the end, you know. It was it was the end for me. Like everything came to an end at the one one time for me, you know. So. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned the GA meetings um, <clears throat> that you went straight from treatment to prison. What I really struggled with, like I GA meetings were a big part of my recovery before prison. And when I arrived in the Midlands, then there was no, there was nothing. It was like, yeah. and then my story was kind of in the papers. You were very mindful of what you said and what you couldn't say. Because, you know, like you're very, you, you know, like it's a different environment. You, you, you don't know if you say something, the wrong thing to the wrong fella. Putting up a knife in your or a pen in your throat or whatever, or slashed or whatever it might be. So it was very much like I felt that I didn't have an out for something. I struggled with that because I went to to see the counselor and there's a wait, there was a waiting list for months and that as well. And like, and then when you compare that to Shelton Abbott, the meetings down in the shed at the front, it was like a totally different story. It's like it's more conducive to recovery or to growth or to development. Whereas the closed prisons, I think even when I went to the doctor the first day and I said, I'm here because of a gambling addiction, he kind of looked at me and laughed at me nearly. What do you mean the gambling addiction? I know it's a little bit different now and back then, but like, I think like, as you said, it's not seen in other people's eyes as, as serious because it's not even seen in our own eyes as serious because we hide it because we don't yeah. want anyone to see it because we have the stigma around it ourselves and there's also that stigma socially around it as well. But I, I did struggle for the first couple of weeks of not being, felt like I couldn't talk to someone around what was going on for me at the time. I struggled with that. You know what, Tony? I think even today, I, I, what you just said is you, you're on the ball. You, you, hit, you hit it right in the spot. It's very, very difficult to, to like, it's more, it's more common for people to just to come out these days and say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm, I'm, I'm in recovery from drugs or whatever. But it, you'd have, like, a lot of these people as well may have a gambling addiction as well, but they may use the AA or the NA for all three or four or five, whatever's going on from, you know, but gambling is definitely one of the ones that we don't talk about enough of, you know, and, and when you said you were in the prison there and like people really don't understand 
what gambling does for for some people, like what it does for us, like that chase. I loved it, and and I loved winning, and and when I was losing, and you know when you're losing, then like it's like, oh, it's like fear and excitement at the same time. It's a really hard feeling to explain because it's like your breath nearly stops, your heart nearly stops because you're waiting for that moment to like either win or to lose. It's like. Fuck's yeah, because like that all his hands up in the air and it's yes, and you know, and like there's a lot to be said for it, you know, there's a lot to be said for it. I, I love this, I love going to the pub and up and down the bookies all day, you know, don't making a few quid. But there was days then, Tony, I'd probably go up and down to the bookies once or twice. And I'd have to go home because I'd have nothing left because I'd, I would have spent whatever I had. You know, and you're inside in the pub then and you're tapping off fellas then for money. You know, so you could do it again. And they know then that's like not to be giving you money because it's fucking, because they know that you're just going to go down to the bookies and spend it, you, you know, and and that's tough, boy. And it's tough and you can, you nearly fall up with friends over that. <laughs> Back in the day, I used to, wait. I used to be saying to her, quite a miserable get or whatever. And I said, you know, all this stuff I done for you and you can't give me this. I didn't realise back then. They knew what I was going to do. You know, I was going to take whatever they handed me and go down there and throw it over the counter. I would have been fucking much. It would have been, you know, and it's faster than drugs or drink. You might get a day out of a hundred euros there for drink. You go down the bookies there and you spend it in fucking 30 seconds while you're standing there waiting for the dog. Do you know, to run around the track. You know, it, it's it's just one of these things. And I always question that about myself. I always question it. And I'd look at while well, I was just spent in, in the bookies. And I said, fucking hell, I could be in lap dancing, you know, and have three or four, five hundred euros worth of cocaine inside my pocket. But I'm over here sleeping in my mum's box room and I'm fucking rest out of my head watching fucking a movie on the CD, you know, and I'm wondering what they're all doing on the Saturday or Friday or Sunday night, and I'm stuck there because I'm after gambling everything I had. You know, it took life away from me as well, you know, um, gambling did, and it put me into a really, really dark place in my head, you know, and, like, I always look back and people always say to me, Jesus Christ to me, like, in a financial aspect, fuck, have you gambled a lot? And, and and do you ever get up? Do you ever, do you ever regret it, or do you ever? And I always, and I always reply with the same answer. And I, I'll, I'll tell you the same answers. I always say, I don't, I, I don't like, I, I don't regret it. It was for me. It was just, it was, it was just, it was just another period of my life that I got something from. And it helped me to grow as well, you know, the gambling actually brought me to a place in my life where it, life was so tough, something happened to happen for me to, to do the 360 that I've done in my life. And, and it's very important to mention that too, that a lot of people have to go through those really, really difficult periods in life to actually understand how important life is, you know, and, and I absolutely had no awareness around anything in life. I didn't have a clue how to feel emotions or any of that other stuff. And 
it was the likes of gambling and those other addictions pushed me into a really, really, really tight corner where I had to wake up. I had to look at my life. I had to look at what I was doing to people with my gambling addiction and and what I was doing to myself. Like my nervous system was completely destroyed because you know I was fucking up here one minute, down here another minute. You know it was completely no, it was destroyed before that. But <laughs> you know I wasn't helping it anyway. Like going to bookies every day, like so. I just was about to ask you about that, Timmy, because it's something that comes up a lot for a lot of people that I'd work with in early recovery and they're th- thinking, look, how can I replace those highs, right? And I suppose the first thing I would say to them is, well, you can't replace the highs without also having the lows because you can't have a high without a low. <laughs> so, well, if you want to have both of those things in your life, well, you can have them, but usually it comes at a, there's some cost along the way. Um, and I suppose for yourself, like you've had the highs and the lows of gambling, the highs and obviously there's the come downs with drugs, alcohol. Like, what would you say to someone if they were saying to you they're in early recovery? How am I going to replace all those highs? Right. The minute you said that to me, right, something just went straight into my head, Barry. Okay. I knew the answer to that immediately. But it took me a long time to understand what the answer would be. Because I, I was in a lot of pain in early recovery, emotional pain. I was, I was process. I didn't know how to process anything at, the, at that period of my life. But as time went on, and I kept working on myself and kept understanding how to, how to just surrender, and accept what has happened in my life and stop fighting everything, I started getting my highs then from. Being a father, being a husband, you know, going for walks and, and being able to appreciate beauty. You know, I uh, when I was caught up in, in gambling addiction, I was caught up in my head so much that if I ever went for a walk with yourself now or Tony or whatever or whoever I went for a walk with and I was out and we say if we were up in top of Corrin Tool and carry a beautiful spot and you're looking across the mountains and they'd say Jesus, isn't this beautiful? And the reality of it is, it is beautiful. But because I was so caught up in my head and I wasn't able to appreciate anything beautiful in life because of all of the stuff that was going on in my life, I would pretend and say, yeah, Jesus, lovely. But no, today, I don't have to pretend because I can just look around and I feel, I feel gratitude. You know, I feel grateful. You know, I feel, I feel grateful for everything that I have in my life. I have my ups, Tony, Tony Barry. I have my ups. I have my downs, you know. But it's every up and down that I had in the last few years gave me more strength to get over the next down period, you know. And, and you have to always look at those down periods, right? There's nobody in the universe pulling springs or pulling any form of you know, doing anything to make you feel this sorting way, okay? What's actually happening is stuff is going on for you in your head and internally in your body because you need to be able to process it and deal with it. And how we do that is by we accept 
the reality of today. We accept the way we feel today. We accept our past, you know. We have to forgive ourselves for what, what has happened, you know. But we also have to learn how to be able to forgive ourselves and how to accept these things. There's no point in just saying, okay, I, I accept it. But that's only something you're saying in your head. You have to feel like you're accepting it as well, you know. And I get all, I just, I get my highs from people. Just being around the right people in life. I have some great people in my life. My wife, my kids. I have two dogs. We have a new puppy in the house here. She has the place destroyed. I, I'm lucky I have Wi-Fi here to even be on this tonight because she bites through the cables frequently. The last time she bit through the cables, no, we had no Wi-Fi in the house for three weeks. The kids were killing each other. My wife was nearly throwing me out of the house because they had no... With no technology or nothing, like it was like they're all going through cold turkey for heroin inside the house over the phones being off because there was no wifey. And I'm there in the middle and I'm saying, because I, 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 technology is not, doesn't, is not a big thing for me at all. And I'm looking at them and I'm looking at the dog then every night in the cage and I'm looking at the pictures after making my life misery for the last three weeks. But I'm grateful for that. You know, and that same little puppy, like, every morning she jumps up on top of the bed and she licks the face off me and, and she's just loving me. And I can appreciate that today, you know. Um, I could never, ever appreciate anything like that before because I was so caught up in my head because of gambling, because of where I was going to get the next, where I was going to get money to go gambling, how I was going to get money back that I lost last week or yesterday, you know. And, and and a lot of the time, Barry, I would have turned to robbing for that because I knew nothing else. You know, I wasn't educated. I didn't have a job. So I would have fucking went out and robbed. I went out and sold drugs. I done whatever I needed to do to get more money to pay out my debts or to pay away and gamble more and, and go on the chase then. You know, something that never works out. You know, it never, ever works out to chase. Once or twice, it'll work out. But you walk back in the next day, then they give it all back again, you know. Um, and uh, it never adds up. It never evens out. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And what's happened is that is that era that gets worse and worse and worse. And, and you just become so alienated from everybody around you because you're caught up there making plans how are you going to do this to get that? How are you going to do this to get that? And you're just, you're like somebody that's sitting there physically, but not there mentally, you know, and, and, and your family, they can, they can see that, you know, and, um, and, and I never, ever, ever want to go back to that, you know, ever, because it's a really, really, really difficult place for anyone to be in, you know, so that's, uh, you only asked me one question, you know, you got to, about four pages. <laughs> just, just to come in on that quickly, uh, when you were sharing that, uh, something came into my mind about a simple thing. Like I get a lot of joy out of simple things in life now. Now and sometimes I forget that and I get caught in my own head and feel sorry for myself. And Barry usually gets the brunt of a lot of that, um, especially yeah. this week when we're up and out walking, he gets a lot of it. So fair juice to him. But like, I remember I wasn't out in the yard in the prison for six weeks. And I remember when I was working in the kitchens, I had to bring a bin outside into the square place. I remember the wind hit my face. Um, now, it wasn't a proper breath of wind because you were enclosed. Um, but I remember feeling that kind of, geez, you, you felt like I'd never got a breath of air in six weeks. And it was just like, I was so grateful for it. Now, it might sound a bit mad, but I then I think 
I was actually on my way down to Cork to do the Dahi and Morris show after the book came out. And I remember I was walking over to get the haircut because I wanted to look my best for, for Mara, you know. And uh, uh, when, when I, I was... hope you pronounced her name right. <laughs> you gave up for me the last time because I pronounced her name wrong. Tough <laughs> woman she is too. When I when I was walking through the IT, whatever way I came around the corner, the bread the, the wind just hit me in the face. And I just had that moment of, isn't it good to be alive? Isn't it good to be just to be able to appreciate the fact that I can feel fresh air in your face? I mean, Barry, like I think the last two mornings down to more. You're walking out one of the mornings. It was choppy there this morning. It was lovely when we were walking along. And then the other morning, it was the sun was rising above over the sea. I'm just kind of going, like, what else could you want? But, and I think it's it's not about getting those, those highs and lows. It's becoming content with the middle ground. Yeah. And you do get little highs and little lows. You know, you might get high from watching a football match or or you might get a bit of a low if you have a bad day, but you, you're not caught in that space for too long. It's like that motion regulation. You kind of bring yourself back up over it yeah. a little bit quicker than we used to be able to. But I remember that moment I came around the, the, the wind. And I just like, it was just one of those moments kind of went, you know what? Life is okay. Now, the next day I could be back feeling sorry for myself again, but at least you can get moments like that can help you in recovery, knowing that it's not all doom and gloom and to kind of become very content where you're at in life. Um, And by and large, you know, Barry would probably disagree, but by and large, I'm like that, that I am fairly content to where I am. Like I have the dog outside the door here in case he, um, he starts barking, but he'd be up on my lap here licking me as well. And yeah, Follows me around the house, and they're there, and Barry, you know, Barry's dog as well. Like, there's small things in life, and I think that's really important to say because that's what recovery is. It's not just about stopping the behavior or stopping drugs or alcohol or gambling, it's about learning how to live again and learn how to enjoy life for what it is again. And that's exactly it, Tony. It's about, it's about actually having a life, you know, and existing for a reason because you're, you're actually bringing something positive and fulfilling to somebody else's life on top of your own and you're being there for your children, your 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 wife, your partner, whoever it may be. And that's what life is about. You know, it, it's 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 not about working five days a week to go out on a Friday night, you know, have your few points and gamble everything that you have inside your pocket, you know, and, and spend the rest of the weekend then at home feeling sorry for something. Like these issues, these are things like that. Like it's my belief, right? Because of gambling being so easy to assess everywhere, everywhere you pick your phone up. You know, gambling is 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 the easiest addiction that anybody can go out and and plan is just to pick it up the phone and, and and whatever. Okay, but and I know yourself and Barry do this. It's going into schools and telling these kids like that. Lads, listen, like this this kind of stuff can bring you to a really bad place and you will never, ever have nothing because of it. Like, you will never be able to afford your own home. You'll probably never be able to get your own care, you know? And you'll probably end up staying at home with your mother and her 10 cats or whatever she has, you know? So it's very important to... explain all these different things to, to young lads like because and women you know and women because it, it's across the board you know um and and it's it's just important you know because without the likes of us sharing our experiences to these young people growing up they they actually won't know the dangers of gambling and, and what could actually happen to them if 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 we don't explain it to them and 
that's where I think the models of A and NA and GA are all starting to change. Do you know the, the, anonymous, the, the anonymous side of it? I think I think it's starting to change and people are, are, are becoming more vocal around around their, their addictions and, and stuff that, that has happened to them in their lives because it's actually okay to be somebody that has had a gambling addiction or a, a drug addiction or whatever it may be. It's actually okay. And we actually need to start talking about these things a little bit more because by keeping them locked up in the rooms, in GA rooms, in NA rooms, the people that really need to hear them that are on the outside listening to the radio and, 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 the, and the telly are, are inside the schools, they're not hearing the real, real stories, you know, and that's and, 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 and that's what people need to hear. They need to hear these real stories and um, understand that there are dangers around gambling. There are massive dangers around gambling, you know. Um, yeah, but Timmy, I think that's why it's so important what yourself and James are doing on the podcast, that... Obviously, you speak about your own lived experience, but you also bring on lots of other people in recovery who are speaking out, talking about their own lived experience. Some people are advocates, some people are campaigners, some people are involved in lobbying for policy change and other changes that would benefit people in recovery or that would help prevent people from getting addicted in the first place, which is really what we should all be trying to do. And that thing of more voices more people coming out like we're working on a project with charities in norway and finland at the moment and a big part of what they do in finland is they encourage people in recovery to come out talk in the media talk in schools go in to give talks in colleges advocate lobby the government and just make lots of noise rather than it being a shameful thing let's all hide ourselves you know look of course lots of people are in recovery and are anonymous and they're not carrying shame but just the, the broader stigma and the broader sh- shame across you know addiction you know across the population yeah. like just to try and destigmatize that and say look like i'd often say to family members if they're ringing me up on the phone i can't understand why my son or my husband keeps going into the bookies why doesn't he just stop I'd say, well, look, do you have a Facebook account or an Instagram account or a TikTok account? And they usually say, yeah. I say, grand job. Just log off that for a week and call me back next week and tell me how you got on. Right. Because we all have a tendency to be able to become addicted to something. (laughs) All of us. Right. (laughs) And there doesn't have to be a substance. There doesn't have to be a white powder or brown powder or tablets or anything else it can be a behavior like gambling like social and social media doesn't even have any money involved like i mean and still millions of people around the place are hooked on it and would struggle to stop which is one of the characteristics of any kind of addiction or unhealthy behavior but i know look at your your type for time and just before because i really wanted to, to ask you this just before we finish up but like with gambling, I suppose we're in some ways where it's different from other addictions, it's it's so up in your head and the thoughts mm. are racing, the mind's racing and all the plates spinning and how they get the money and the, how they replace the money that I borrowed over here and that I got over here and all the things they have to do and all the lies you have to tell. And it's such a head fuck you know, yeah. That, yeah. in a way that many other addictions are not. Like it's just very, very much up in your head. And I know you're big into meditation. Do you think that that's helped you in your recovery to kind of dial down a lot of that noise that comes along with something like gambling? A hundred percent. Because, right, if 
<laughs> gambling, the urge to go into a bookies is not going to just stop overnight. You know, we all have these thoughts. You know, we're all like, I still have thoughts about going into the bookies. You know, eleven years down the line, you know, I still have thoughts. I go in there, I you know, just do something small. I often walk past the bookies and I and I I nearly catch myself walking in the door, and I'm saying. Jesus Christ. It's like the body knows the behavior. The body knows the routine. The mind also has it. The mind also knows that, yeah, we can do this, you know. But I suppose for me, where the meditation stuff came in was, I was able to separate those thoughts to what's real, you know. So if I have a thought like something like that, I don't look into it. Because I know it's just a bit of information that's in the air, that's just there, means nothing. It's not telling me that I have to go in there. It's the only there because once upon a time in my story, going into a bookies was part of my life. And it was something I'd done frequently. You know, I don't have to go in there today. You know, and if I am struggling around it, I can pick the phone up. And call somebody and say, boys, I'm fucking struggling here today. You know, I don't know what it is there. I just want to go in there and fucking start gambling, you know. And But it was the meditation gave me that real strength and awareness to know that they're just thoughts. They're not who I am today. The bookies isn't apparent in my life, but I still think about having a gamble. I still think about having a gamble every time I turn on the telly and I see horse racing on, I see dogs on, you know, I see poker or I see soccer, you know, anything at all. If I see two young fellas out there throwing change up against the wall to see who gets near the wall. In in, in my 20s, with, with change and, and, and you'd be playing for 50 fucking quid, all that kind of mad stuff. Have to be very, very, very careful. And we spoke earlier on there even about cryptocurrencies. You know, these are all things to be very, very mindful of. There's easier ways if you want to really, really invest money. You know, you can really do it in, in really more risk-free way. But if you're a compulsive gambler, you need to really, really be very, very mindful of, of your decisions around any of those areas as well because it can... It can really come back and bite you, like it. You can push you in, in 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 that other direction as well down the gambling route, where you're getting caught up and stuff, and you're chasing and stuff. So it's 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 a really really sticky one, Barry. It's it's something that you you really have to be very very conscious of. There can't be any denial in any way, any denial because it's denial. If there's a slice of denial there, like you, it can pop in there your worst period where you're having your worst time in life and you can get cut off track and you can you can relapse, you know. So you have to be very mindful and meditation is massive, a massive part of my life. As as I always talk about it, you know, like I was very uneducated. I, I wasn't able to read or write in prison. And meditation was able to slow me right down and like, I couldn't understand what the psychologist was even telling me in prison, when she, even though she'd break everything down as best as she possibly could. But what meditation does was, it didn't stop my thinking, you know? It didn't stop my thinking. But what it did was, 
it made me more compassionate to myself and it gave me an understanding of thinking. And I started to really understand that my thinking is always going to be there and it might be anything. It's not there to hurt me. It's just there. And the minute I understood that around life, I was able to say, oh, that's all I grand, it's just a thought. Anytime I pass a bookies and I have that urge to take the left or right in the door, I just, whoa, I kind of, I have the awareness of, whoa, <laughs> that's still there, like, <laughs> so that's very, very, that's a great question, right? That's a great question because I'd say there's a lot of guys do get caught in that. You know, you need to be really aware and, and the denial section of it is very important as well. You have to, you have to be fully honest and fully understand what it is to be a compulsive gambler, you know, um, to be free of it, you know. Yeah. And when I say uh, free of it, sorry, Barry. No, sorry, Timmy, for cutting across. You know, I love that description of it, of it, just as the thought being a piece of information from something that I used to do a long time ago, right? In other exactly, words, it's yeah. this association between there was a time in my life a long time ago where Timmy used to walk down the street and he wouldn't pass the bookies, he'd walk straight into the bookies. But that yeah. was something that I used to do in the olden times a long time ago in a different story, a different Timmy, a different <laughs> older version of me before I upgraded or whatever way you want to phrase it. And, but to not get caught up in, you know, I suppose it's one of the most difficult things that I found difficult to understand around say mindfulness or meditation, the idea that I am not my thoughts, yeah. right? That there's thoughts, which is the noise in your head. And then there's you, <laughs> right? but most of us spend most of our time deeply identifying and deeply connected with the thoughts and thinking, well, I am my thoughts. I must be the one thinking all the thoughts rather yeah. than it's just background or the, the Buddhists sometimes call a monkey mind, the monkey leaping around from, from branch to branch. Tony, maybe you can remember this. What's the Viktor Frankl quote about the gap between the. Oh, between the stimulus and the response, there's a gap and, um, oh, it's within that gap. We can, oh, you're putting me in the spot there. I have it in there. I have it written down. Damn, I should have Googled. No, yeah. I have it there, actually. If you give me two seconds, if you want to keep talking, I have it there beside yeah, me. Yeah. But anyway, the idea being that, the let's say the stimulus is the trigger, so you're walking past the bookie shop. So the trigger is there. You have this association from a long time ago, from your own past, your own lived experience. Top pops into your head. But then you have a choice. And I suppose what, what I think meditation gives you is, like you said, it calms the mind down. So when the mind is calm, you're not racing at 100 miles an hour. So it buys you a little bit of time, which is what we're always trying to tell people that we work with. Look, do things that will buy you a little bit of time. If that means your partner's managing the money, that buys you some time. Or if you're self-excluded from, from an online account, well, then it buys you a bit of time because you have to take time to open up a new account. Whatever the thing is, if you're buying yourself from the local yeah. bookies, you might have to walk five minutes longer to get the next bookies. You're buying yourself time. But really where you want to buy yourself time is in that space between i have a thought and I, will i or won't i act on the thought right. <laughs> here, here it is anyway barry Go on, between stimulus and response there is a space in that space is our power to choose our response in our response lies our growth and our freedom it's a great quote that yeah. is a great quote and it makes so much sense but the likes of us tony me, you and Barry, we, we can understand that. 
But when you have somebody in early, early recovery, a quote like that has to be really broken down for them to understand it because the awareness isn't there. They haven't got that awareness, you know, that understanding of, you know, it's just a thought. And I'm very, very mindful as well when I start using that language, you know, around, uh, around my own awareness stuff, around thinking and me understanding that it's just they're just taught. Because you said it there, Barry, people actually are so caught up in the mind and they have such a belief around their thinking that it's all reality and it's all true, that they believe everything that goes on in their head, you know. And, and, and that's where meditation breaks that. The first time I got that real sense of awareness was, it was it just happened like that. It just happened. It was like I was awareness, and I was looking. I was like I I was I, I was able to see watch my thoughts, and I was saying to myself, I actually literally said, "Where the fuck do these things come from?" And and my understanding of it is, it's just. It's just information floating around the area and it just pops in. And you said it there, when it's them, something you're reminded of something, it just pops in. But it's then up to me to be able to react to that because some of that information, some of those thoughts that pop in, there might be an emotion connected to it, you know, from an experience of in the past, okay? And when there's an emotion connected to a thought, there could be trouble if you don't understand that stuff. Okay. And that's very, very, that's a very, very important factor. Because if you have a thought about a time in, in while you were gambling and, and somebody got really badly stung for a few quid or whatever, and you have a lot of shame attached to that, you could start spiraling downhill with that shameful feeling, more shameful thoughts are popping in to reaffirm that feeling and justify the feeling. And that stuff then can turn into a day, a week, two weeks, a month, a lifetime of just complete living in that moment and that in that in that feeling and and and, and that's how I lived my life. I lived my life in fear, I lived my life in shame, in regret, you know, in complete anger. I lived my life in all those different emotions for a long, long time until meditation taught me, you know what? You actually don't need, you don't have to live here. You actually have a choice. No, I have a choice today. I didn't have a choice before, you know? I have a choice today because I have awareness that I never had before. And I don't want to sound like a weird fucker here, but it's, it's it's something you have to work at hard. You have to really, really. That's I used to go up at half four every morning, without failure, and meditate for an hour in the morning. Like Tony, I'd meditate three hours a day up church and Abbey. You know, there'd be fellas. I'd be inside in the six man. There'd be three or four fellas behind me in the bed behind me, and they'd be all fucking. I'd be sitting on the bed meditating. They'd be shouting and roaring inside in the bed. I wouldn't. Even, I would give two fucks what they were at. You know, they'd be they'd be looking at me. And, the fuck your man's like is he fucking still alive there that cunt do you know I'd be fucking stone cold or it taught me how to really switch off from reality from what was going on around me and and go deep within myself 
And when I started going deep in myself, then feeling all and processing all those emotions, things that that would have happened in, in my childhood and stuff, it taught me how to process them. I started getting tools to be able to live. And that's when my life changed. Then I started really understanding what acceptance was. You know, acceptance isn't something that you tell you, oh, I accept that, oh, I forgive you. They're not. What they are is acceptance is when an issue comes up and you're feeling something, you stop everything you're doing. You become aware of time in that moment. And you just say, you just, you just, it's a, it's something you do internally. You soothe yourself and you tell yourself it's actually okay. This happened. It's okay. And instead of spiraling down, you're accepting where you are at that moment in time. You know, and 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 you could be feeling like the whole world is coming in and top you, and you're gonna drown in fear or shame. And that's all part of it. Just feel it. And that's when my life changed. I learned to do that. And that's when everything in my life changed. And I was able to see life for the beautiful thing it is. And see my family and my, my wife for, for what they are, you know. And, and um, I'm still a big fucking, big strong fucking dopey man, you know. I, I'm in construction. I get to knee deep in shit every single day. I could be in a sore one day. I could be up in your attic insulating another day. You know, that's my life. You know, that's my life. For the time being, you know, I'm doing a mindfulness masters this year. And um, I want to go on and start teaching this stuff. Because I think I, 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 I had the experience. And I understand where people are at in their lives. Because when I started meditating a number of years ago, I literally was at death's door in terms of every angle that I could attempt to. And meditation was the only thing that I'd never tried in my lifetime previously. And I knew it was I was on my last legs because I wanted my life to end. You know, I I, 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 I couldn't handle what was going on internally for me. Because you know, I was I was visiting my childhood and I had a really, really traumatic childhood. There was a lot of stuff happened and a lot of that stuff was coming up and I didn't know how to process it. And I used to be waking up even at two and three and four o'clock in the morning, full of fear and full of shame. And I thought I was a, just a horrible human being and that the world would be better without me. And um, meditation was the only thing that I had. And I'd sit in that cell for 18 hours a day and I'd, I'd meditate. I literally had to put my two hands up the top of my legs to stop it from shaking because my legs would shake. And around the same period I was in, I was hypervigilant because I was in the prison setting and I was on fight or flight constantly. There was adrenaline pumping through my body. I was constantly looking over my shoulder. You know how it is, Tony. And uh, I just kept going, but I just kept going and I asked God for help every single day. And, and listen, I'm not religious. Let me clarify you that. I just say God because I don't know what's up there. I don't know what's up there, but I have a belief that there's something there that has helped me all my life. 
And every time I ask for some bit of guidance or some bit of help, it comes my way. I don't fight. I don't fight reality. If there's something happening in my life today, it's there. It's there because it has to be there, you know, and anything. And I just go over it. I try to keep my ego and my will out of it. And um, that's how our podcast started, you know. Like, there was no fucking way in hell I would have ever started on a podcast. It was just, I got this information, just told me, listen, I, I, I was searching for a purpose in life. I was nearly finished college and I didn't know where my life was going. And I had an ayahuasca session. I, I done ayahuasca and, and, and um, information came to me. And it just said, you'll have, why? Well, I, I just asked what my purpose in life was. And it just told me that. Just said your, your experience. You have to share your experience to help other people. And um, that was so strong. No, I was never even on Facebook on my lifetime, or Twitter, or Instagram, or any of these other things. Never, ever. Still not actually. Maybe just just because of the podcast. No, I touch off the here and there, but that's it. And that information was so strong, there was no going back. And the podcast started on the basis of that. Around the same time, James was after being on an RT's Tommy Thierney show, and uh, he was on about all the requests he had from people who were caught up in in, in some of the, some of their own lives, their own addictions and stuff. And uh, I just said, you know what? Come on, we start a podcast. I knew I knew what we had to do, and it went from there. And if 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 you watch the first and the second podcast that I done, I was consumed in terror and fear for two. I was I was so afraid, and I'm not. Uh, I, I I'm very open about how I feel. You know, I was so, I, I was so fear, uh, consumed in fear that I could barely even talk, Jonas. My heart was beating like that all through my chest, you know, but um, that was something I had to face in my lifetime as well. I had to really go into that and face that because I would have never had any any uh, confidence in myself. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have any belief. My self-esteem wouldn't have been great, you know. And from listening to some of the comments that I, we get from some of the people that I've listened to the podcast. It, it just it gives me that reason to keep going because I know I'm doing something right because I'm changing someone's life and giving them uh, the motivation and I inspiring them to, to take that first step wherever it may be. Maybe to go to see ourselves and get some counselling off you, you know, or somebody else, or maybe we walk into their doctor and tell their doctor that they're they're depressed and or they're caught up in. Uh, some form of addiction, you know, and sometimes people can't do that on their own. But when they see somebody who's gone through it already, and they're listening to them, and we're giving them a bit of guidance, they're actually saving their life in a sense. They're actually, they're actually pushing them where they can't do it themselves, you know. And and, and sometimes Tony and Barry, we actually don't even know the people we're even helping. Like you know, some people might even contact you, but they get whatever information they require to, to, to push them on to the next step. And, you know, I think 
I think the world is moving in that direction as well, where humanity are are are, are we're becoming more love honesty than we are bad, evil, and negative. You know, we're really switching over. You know, I I see it a lot. You know, like if. To look at my own life and see the 360 that I've done, you know, and, and lads, I, I don't put myself down and I won't put myself down, but when I was involved in crime and drugs and everything else, like, I would have done anything, you know, to get money and to get whatever I needed, you know. But no, I wouldn't harm a fly on the wall, you know. And when I look at the change in, in my own life and how I could do that, it gives me so much wisdom and compassion and empathy for those that are behind me who are still caught up in, in my old life, you know. And I know that people can change, you know. And, and that's what we try to do a lot on our podcast is to, to share those kind of stories so others who haven't experienced what we have can look at us and say, do you know what? They're actually good people. And they're not going to speak down to anybody like that begging on the streets again or I'm not going to disrespect somebody, you know, that has less than me. And, 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 and we're changing. And we're changing society. We're changing humanity. You know, we're doing it here in, in, in Ireland, ourselves, yourselves, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of other podcasts around the world. And they're doing their bit as well. They start breaking that cycle of, of the, everything is bad, the world is bad. No, people are good. You just need to bring it out in them. They need to see it in themselves. When they see it in other, others, it'll come out in themselves. You just need to be kind to each other and... And just keep doing the right, the right things and being the nice, even though it might feel not like a natural thing for you to go away and be nice to somebody. But when you overcome that feeling of not doing it and keep doing and doing it, it becomes the natural thing then to wake up in the morning and have a big smile on your face and say, what are you getting on, Angus Hogue? <laughs> you know, they might turn around and tell you fuck off too. But that's the reality of it. But... I, Lads, I just have to waffle on there for the last 10 minutes. Sorry about that. That's a mighty, mighty waffling, Timmy. Like, I mean, I love that. I love what you're saying there. And I love that, you know, the, the belief that people are good, people are kind, you know, and to that ideally, if we could all come from that starting point and that was our assumption about all the other people around us, that would just have a positive domino effect. I honestly do believe that. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a great place to come from. And I lo- and I love the idea of like with the podcast, you kind of put something out into the world, and maybe you'll never meet the person that got something beneficial or helpful from it. And sure, we could all be dead, and there'd still be people listening to them yeah. in fifty years. I love that part of it as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somebody could listen to it in ten years, or, 20, or somebody in New Zealand is listening to it, or whatever the thing is. I love that part of it uh, that you're just trying to put some goodness out into the world and you may never see the end result of that but i i love that aspect of it tony anything because i know timmy's family and dogs and everything are gonna land in on top from here in a second you any thoughts or questions before we finish up and i have to go collect mine so um no yeah. i just wanted again thank timmy 
for coming on and talking. I could listen to you all night. And thanks again for inviting me on to the um your own podcast. Well, I actually bullied James into going on to it. And this friend I should. Do you know what, Tony? Oh. Do you know what? It was one of the, one of for me. It was the one one of the most powerful, inspirational, motivational podcasts that I've listened to. I had the pleasure to to be in the company Thank of you. You know, um, because you know, not just because I know you, and and we we've, we've been in prison around the same period, but I could relate to your story so fucking much. You know, I was sitting across from you, and and. I could feel how you were feeling at every moment in your own journey when you were caught up in, 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 in gambling addiction, you know. And like I I just love listening to people's mm. stories. And it was I, a powerful I, one, wasn't it? It was. It, it was. It was a great fucking podcast, you know. And and I I I give people every single bit of myself when they're in front of me at that table. You know, I don't take my eyes off them. I give them that time and attention that they need from me because I think it's very important to to give yourself to the person that's sitting across from you fully, you know, and be there for them because it's an emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. when you're when they're bringing up stories of their past, you know, and when they're bringing themselves back, there's emotions flooding back, and you need to be there for them. Your body language needs to be one hundred percent. You need yeah. to be fully tuned in as well, and I think, I think that's a great, that's a great gift to have as well. You know, and we're blessed to have it. So, yeah, I'm so still waiting for my quote to go onto the wall. So, um, I'll be on to you again about that. Oh, I want to be up there with Gabber Mata quotes on the wall. <laughs> Not a bother. We just have to get a bigger studio with bigger yeah. walls to put all yeah, the quotes on. Exactly. Brilliant. Thanks a million again for coming on to me. Thanks, chatting. Timmy, I could listen to you all day, man. What your your insights on meditation and mindfulness, I think, are absolutely amazing. Thank and you, I wish you all the best with the masters in mindfulness. I think you'd be brilliant at it, and I think you'll bring a lot of uh, help and therapy, and I think wisdom and calmness into people's lives by doing that, because you obviously know it inside out and have integrated it into your life in a in a really big way. So. Thanks so much, and thanks so much to yourself and James for what you do, because I love the podcast, Tony loves the podcast, so many of the people that we work with would mention, bring up the podcast in counseling sessions or in conversations that we're having with people, and like that, it could be people in Ireland, it could be people out on the other side of the planet, yeah. who are getting some something from it, and maybe it's giving them a lift some day when they're down and they're having a bad day, and they think nobody else in the world thinks like me and I'm the only freak who thinks like this. And then you realize, hang on, <laughs> there's other people out in the world who, who think the way I, I do or behave the way I do. And it, I think that's one of the most important things that any of us can do is to kind of get that information out there. Thanks, Barry. Thank you. Timmy Long, co-host of the Two Naughties podcast and future masters in the mindfulness <laughs> holder. Uh, thank you so much and keep keep up the great work thank you my pleasure lads thanks Thanks for having me thank you lads the problem gambling podcast is proudly sponsored by gamban the simple and effective way to block access to online gambling on all your devices if willpower slips gamban doesn't go to gamban.com to find out more 